Well, everyone loves a love story. Everyone loves a love story. You know, I heard a great love story just a few days ago as I sat uh, with a, a gentleman that I don't know real well, but a gentleman I met probably 20 years ago, sat in his uh, kitchen as we had some coffee together, and he told me the uh, how we met story, as he told me about how he met his wife here in Minot so many years ago. He met her probably over 40 years ago, but he told me the story as though it happened just yesterday. That was a neat how we met story, and how they fell in love, and made Minot their home, and on and on, and it was just a really captivating story for me. But the circumstances of our meeting, though, for me to hear that story, really were not very pleasant, weren't very easy. The truth be told, he had just lost her. I was there to help him plan a memorial service, which we held just yesterday. In fact, the flowers that you see in front of me here today are a gift from that husband. Uh, he wanted them brought to the church here today in memory of his beloved wife, Kathy. That was a wonderful love story, and yet it concluded. The flowers, again, are in her memory. You know, the book of God affirms, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 2. You know, since we're not in control of our days and our destinies, what can we do? What can we do about it? We're not the, really the chief of our destinies, and we're not the lords of the universe. Our days are numbered. What can we do? You know, we can do a couple of things. We can count our days, or we can make our days count. You know what I mean by that, right? We can choose to live our days with faith, with hope, with love, or we can live for what is seen, and what is temporary, not what is unseen, and what is eternal. That's what I mean by that statement. We can also learn to wait well. We can learn to wait well. All of us are waiting for something here tonight, aren't we? You know, in that scripture reading that Bonnie read for you tonight, we got a glimpse of a man that the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about, but tells us his name, Simeon, he was an older man, it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the consolation, the comfort, the expectation, a messianic expectation of Israel, the centuries-long expectation of a Messiah that was going to come to the Jewish nation. He was waiting. Well, let me bring it back to our time right now. I said a minute ago, not even a minute ago, that we're all waiting, aren't we? We're waiting for some things in our lives. Let me bring it back to your world and mine for another moment before we go back to Simeon's time. What are you waiting for here tonight? Maybe you're waiting for someone to love. Maybe you're waiting for clarity in your life direction. Maybe you're waiting for a, a better job. Maybe you're waiting for a wandering child to return. Maybe you're waiting for healing in your marriage. Maybe you're waiting for a financial 
bounce back. Maybe you're waiting for your deep anxiety to leave you. How long will you have to wait? I don't know the answer to that question. But ask yourself this question, and maybe it's a harder question than the first one. What are you waiting for? Here's the question. Not what are you waiting for tonight. I mean, that's an important one, and it's an honest question. And it's an important question. But the better question is this, or the related question, what are you becoming while you are waiting? Ponder that with me for a minute. What are you becoming while you are waiting? Will you wait with poise and patience? Will you wait with faith in the Lord? Or will you let your weight turn you sour and selfish, bitter? Now let's come back to Simeon for a moment. The reading tonight told us about Simeon, a man in waiting. As a devout Jew, he was waiting for the messianic promise, the promise that God had made to Israel for a deliverer for his people, the promise of a Messiah, an age-old promise. People had waited for centuries. Talk about a wait, a long wait. And this is the testimony of Luke's gospel. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So the season, the centuries-long season of waiting for the Lord's Messiah had come to an end. It was a long, incredible wait that many of God's people never lived to see. But we come to this point now in history where God said the wait's over. And he, he chose a select number of people, Simeon among them, to say, you are going to be among those few people. The shepherds were among those people that got to see the, the Messiah. We heard Pastor Barry preach about them this morning. They were among those people that God allowed to see the Messiah, the baby. And now here's another one, Simeon. And right after this text, we see the story of Anna, the, another person that the Lord revealed his Christ to. But now we're looking at Simeon. And God keeps his promises. But they seem so slow, don't they? In your life, in mine, in, in coming to fruition. And we can get so impatient and let me ask you this question quickly. What would have happened in Simeon's life if, if he would have just quit waiting? If he'd have said, you know, I've always had this dream, this vision as a Jew, as a devout Jew, that I would live to see the day that I'd, I'd see the Messiah come. But, you know, it just hasn't come, and I'm just mad about it, and I just, I'm just giving up. And yet, we do know that it was God's expressed desire that Simeon would live to see it. It was, it was clearly God's desire for Simeon, right? Because he did live to see it. But let's say Simeon, humanly, would have just said, I'm sick of waiting. I'm, I don't believe you, God. I'm giving up on you. And he could have done that, right? Humanly, he could have said, I quit. I'm not waiting anymore. Simeon, if he would have done that, 
would have missed the purpose for which he was created. He would have missed it. He'd have still lived, but he'd have missed the biggest blessing for which he was created. So whatever you're waiting for tonight, if it is God's intention for you, don't give up. Don't throw it away. Don't hijack it with your impatience. It was in God's intention that Simeon would experience this. God, the Holy Spirit was with him in this vision that he would live to see the Lord's Christ. And he hung in there, didn't he? He was aged, he was old, and he had a word from God on this that he would live to see this. This was part of God's plan for his life, and he hung in there. He believed God, and he lived to see what God had promised him. We don't know how long he waited. Was it years? Was it months? Was it decades? The point is, he didn't give up. But if he did, he would have missed the moment for which he had been created. God was at work in what he had promised to Simeon. And so, he lived to see it. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Now, Jesus, the baby Jesus, was eight days old, infant in arms. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, and then we call this Simeon's Psalm, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servants in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Think Genesis 12, 1 and 2, the Abrahamic covenant and promise that, that the Messiah that would someday be born through the Abrahamic line would be a blessing to all nations, that through Abraham there would be a blessing, and that all nations of the world would be blessed, not just the Jewish nation. And here he is, the Messiah, who came first to the Jewish nation, but to bless the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike. Here he is, Jesus, eight days old, the Son of God. Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, may you now dismiss me in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus called himself the light of the world. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. You know, it's, it's hard to live without hope, isn't it? Let's just pause here. It's hard to live without hope. I would like to encourage you tonight with this statement, this simple statement. God has already worked to give you, to give us, each of us tonight, what we ultimately already, what we, what we are ultimately already waiting for. You know, some of the things that we're waiting for in life we may or may not realize or, or experience. You know, I always wanted to be, let me be a little facetious, I always wanted to be 6'8". I don't think I'm going to make it. You know, if I am, it's going to be this way. <laughs> but I really don't want to go that way. I don't think I'm, I could make that, but that wouldn't be very healthy. I might make that and then fall over. Huh? And you're all going to laugh at me anyway, and you're going to roll me around here. Okay, so, but some of the things that we, we, we wish for or want in life, we just, that's not going to happen. And I'm not saying you don't think big, dream big, whatever, but we're not name it and claim it people, Right? If I ever start talking like that, throw me out of here. You've heard me say that before. That's not our theology here. We, we want to have God's dreams, not our dreams, uh, for our church and for our lives. We want to be really careful with what we want to aspire to be and become here. But we want to be careful there. But 
the real things we need in life we have. The, the biggest need you have in life is hope. The biggest hope that you could ever aspire to have, you've got it if you're in Christ. I mean, what more do you need than to know that your sins are forgiven, that you've got a home in heaven, and Jesus has been working on that for 2,000 years? You, can you think of something bigger that you need than what Jesus has won for you at the cross? What would that be? What would that look like? Can you think of a more hopeful message than Jesus Christ has already given you? To say your sins are paid in full, that, that, that God has signed a peace treaty with you and signed it with the blood of his own son? Can you think of a bigger thing that, that you and I need and that the world needs than that? That we have the riches of Christ when we have been a bunch of rebels? That we are born sinners and God says, you know what? I'm declaring the wars over. I'm forgiving all of that and I love you and I forgive you, and you are, instead of being rebels that I'm banishing forever to hell, I'm making you my sons and daughters. You're my princes, and you're my nobles, and you're my princesses, and you're, you're in my heavenly court, and you're my, you are mine. I mean, I, I could go on, but I mean, it's, it's just your, your royalty, he says to me, and to you. I, I can't get over that. You're ambassadors for, for Christ. You are this, you are that. I mean, he's the king. We're not that. We know that. But just think about this. We could go on. Everlasting hope. You've got what you need in life to go forward, to go on. You know, do you need a new beginning in life? He can give you that tonight. As a Christian, do you need a fresh start? He can give you that tonight. Are you afraid to tell him the truth about yourself tonight? He already knows it. Jesus came to cleanse us from sin, not to condemn us for our sins. He gives us restoration, deliverance, grace, peace, new beginnings every day. Another message of Christmas is this one. Not only everlasting hope, but I love this. God is in the business of constantly surprising us. I think the message of Christmas in and of itself is surprising. But as a general truth, I think the Bible shows us this again and again, that God is in the business of constantly surprising people. He's, he's a God of surprises. Now, there are people who, today who would say, you know, don't give me much of this God talk. God's boring. You know, I used to believe that as a young man. I was bored. My parents would take me to church, and I'd like, oh, man. You know, I'd sit through the pastor's sermons doing this. I really did. I'm glad my kids never did that, but I did. I didn't tell them that until they grew up. But I'd sit like this, now that, and they still don't do that, thankfully, but I, I hope they don't start now that I've admitted to that. But uh, I was so bored in church. I didn't know the Lord either, so that was probably part of the reason. But as a young adult, when I, when I found the Lord, I thought, he's not boring at all. You know, people who, who are bored of God, the reason often is, is they're not experiencing him. They haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good. People who say they don't, that God is boring just don't know him very well. Scripture says our God is a consuming fire. That's the Hebrews text I put up there for you. That kind of God who's a consuming fire doesn't sound very dull to me. He actually sounds pretty dangerous. God isn't dull, friends. He's pretty dangerous, actually. And he's in the business of surprising us. Let me relate that to Christmas. Richard C. Halverson, the former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, and a native North Dakotan had this to say about how God surprises us, and he relates it to the Christmas message. I quote, 
One of the things about the Christian solution that commends it to thoughtful people is its uninventability. That is not an English word. But if a Princeton graduate could say that, I think I'll, I'll just go ahead and use it too. He says it's, it is, it's uninventability. That's a big word that simply means that the Christian answer is so completely unlike man's way of doing things, so utterly contrary to human wisdom that it must have come from somewhere else, from God, for example. Take Christmas as an illustration. Only God could have thought of that. When man wants to invent a super being with superhuman powers, he produces a superman or Captain Marvel or the last Jedi. But God gave the world a baby. Does that sound strange to you? Does that sound a little bit counterintuitive? God gives the world a baby, and he saves the world with it. Isn't that just out of the box? And in that infant was tied up the whole destiny of the world and humankind. That is the staggering theme of the Bible. End quote. It's hard to really wrap your mind around the reality of what really took place that night in Bethlehem so long ago. Christians believe this is what took place. The God of the universe entered time and space and joined the ranks of humanity. He entered the world in the same way we do, born of a woman and in dependence upon the benevolence of human parents. One scholar summarizes it in this way. I know that's tiny print. Let me read it. <laughs> We are in the presence of one of the greatest mysteries and wonders of the universe. The creator of the universe who is of a completely different dimension and reality than what he made in a way that is scarcely conceivable to us is united in the person Jesus Christ with a divine and human nature for the central purpose of being able to die. God cannot die, but Jesus Christ the God-man can die. Think of that. God cannot die, but Jesus Christ, the God-man, can. In fact, he needed to be able to die for you and for me in order to forgive us. Wow. Does that blow your mind? Do you need some Excedrin by now? Wow. I do. I, can't, I can hardly understand that. I mean, it's so profound. It is so profound. I might need help with jumping to that. Oh, here it goes. God cannot die, but Jesus Christ, the God-man, can die. So Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man, would give his life for us in order that we might live. God loves you that much, that he'd step out of eternity, become incarnate in the Son, in order to die so that you might live forever with him. Wow. Let that grasp you tonight. Let that hold you close if you're hurting tonight. Let that hold you and heal you and give you joy even and, and maybe weeping, tears of joy that you're that loved, that you're that precious, that you mean so much to him because you do. And friends, the, 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 the Christ child, there's a lot more proof of God's goodness than that, but that's a great starting point, isn't it? that God would send Jesus is a great evidence of the goodness of God. There's a lot more evidence than that of the goodness of God. People say, give me evidence that God is good. Give me evidence. Well, there's a lot, but that's a starting point right there is the baby in the manger. That's a starting point. That's a good start that I would point you to 
if you're questioning the goodness of God. It's living proof of the goodness of God. And we look at more scripture here tonight. The next uh, screen. I know it's going to come for me. There it is. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Some of us would give our lives for our family. I would. For my friends, I would. Jesus said, love your enemies. We should be willing to, to, to honestly obey that. But the word of God says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, and while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. So Joseph and Mary, let's come back to our text. They marveled over the words Simeon spoke about their son. As yet, as yet there we even more than Simeon, excuse me, and yet, more than Simeon, there was more that Simeon, excuse me, would say before this encounter would end. So we come back to that. A little bit more here. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, listen to these words. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then there's this word, which is really foreboding. We call it foreshadowing, don't we? It was really a bit of a hint about the future. Mary's heart's going to be broken because something's going to happen in the future of her son that's going to break her heart. And a sword will pierce your own soul. She's going to see his death. She's also going to see him alive again, but... And a sword will pierce your own soul too. What does this statement mean though? Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. I think, I think you and I probably have more than an idea what that means. It means that the very destinies of people, of men and women, are tied to this infant born in Bethlehem because of his identity. He's not just a baby He's the Messiah. And so people's identity, or their, their eternities are tied to who he is. The child born in the manger will either someday be your savior or he will be your judge. Why? Because he is the king of the world. He's the Messiah. The way people will respond to this baby will matter. If people respond to the baby as the Messiah, if they choose to trust him, to believe in him, they will rise. At their death. If they reject him, they will perish. That's the very message that Jesus gave as the Messiah, isn't it? Human destiny in an infant. How profound is that? And then our Lord, during his earthly ministry, said the same thing. He told the religious people of his day, he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me he said, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Sometimes we get so close to God with religious things, maybe coming to church, maybe reading the Bible, but we can miss the Savior. Isn't that sad? Jesus said to people who were religious, he said, you have religion, but you don't want a relationship with me. You're so close, but you're not there. It's possible to have Religion without a relationship. Maybe someone here tonight has that. Maybe some of us have had that in our own lives in seasons gone by. 
It's possible to have a superficial relationship about many things in life, but not really have depth that makes a difference. Let me put it this way to you. Imagine two people in a neighborhood going for walks. They're coming from different directions, and they they cross paths. They realize that they're probably from the same neighborhood, so these two gentlemen stop, and they talk, and they're just conversing. They're looking around the neighborhood, getting acquainted with each other. They stop, and they they just gander. They look, it's a rather nice neighborhood, and so they start looking at the homes in the area. They both start looking at, at one particular home, and they're both kind of admiring it. Uh, and, and pretty soon, uh, the, one, the one gentleman says, you know, that's a really nice house over there. That's a really nice house. And the one over here says, you know, that is a nice house. And the one over here says, I, I just really think that's a terrific-looking house. And the guy over here says, you know what, it is a great-looking house. It's my house. Two men looking at the same house, but they have completely different understandings of it, don't they? One of them sees it from an outside perspective, and he's admiring it. The other one says, yeah, I see that house. That's a nice house. It's my house. He's got a whole lot more of an intimate perspective of it, though, doesn't he? He knows what it looks like. He knows where the rooms are at. He knows how, a whole lot of things about it because he's experienced with it. He understands it at a whole other level. You know, we can know a lot about God. We can go to church. We can have been baptized and confirmed and have a lot of religious facts but miss the Savior. It's possible. It's very possible. Friend, don't have religion without a relationship with Jesus. That was true in his day when he told people, he said, you search the scriptures and, and, and you think that studying them through them you have eternal life. They're talking about me, but yet you won't come to me. Don't miss Jesus for the facts about Jesus. Please, be careful there. Coming to church Christmas Eve doesn't make you a Christian. Knowing the name of Jesus doesn't make us Christians, but it's deeper than that. Simeon looked upon the Messiah and he said simply, my eyes have seen, he said to God the Father, my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation was in a person. It was in the Messiah. And Simeon had faith in the Messiah. This is the Savior. Can you say with Simeon, can you say, I embrace Jesus? Not in the physical sense, but with eyes of faith, I trust in Jesus as my Messiah, as my Savior, my forgiver, my leader. I hope you can tonight, if you've not made that big step in your life. You know, every year, countless people celebrate the birth of Jesus without accepting the free gift of salvation. It goes unwrapped year after year after year. That's really a tragedy, isn't it? Imagine a Christmas tree in your home that had a lonely present that just stayed there after everything else. I don't know about your house, but under our tree every year, everything's gone. I think that's probably true for most of our homes. But imagine the, a, a gift that never got open. That's, kind, that's the gift of Jesus. In some sense, I'm using that metaphorically. People celebrate Christmas but don't unwrap the biggest gift sometimes. It's easy to ignore the biggest gift, the best gift. So I want to invite you to consider tonight how you are responding to that baby born in the manger. Have you opened your heart to him? The Bible is really honest with us about our need. It says that the wages of sin is death. We've all earned it. 
We don't go a day without sinning. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that's true. In thought, in word, in deed. And that's taking us down. Sin is deforming us. It's, it twists us. And, and someday, that has to be reconciled to a holy God. At the end of our days, sin has to be dealt with. The good news is God's already dealt with it on the cross of Calvary, on the cross of Christ. But if your life has not interfaced with that, if your life is not put connected with Jesus in a faith relationship with him, then you're going to have to pay for those sins. You don't want to do that, my friend. You cannot afford to do that. I can't afford to do that. A holy God, though, is going to say, somebody's paying for this. I've made payment. But you've got to say, I want that payment paid. Remember that story in the Bible of the thief on the cross who knew he was a thief, who knew that he needed payment for his sins, who said to Jesus, Lord, remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus forgave him. And we're no better than that thief. So I I pray that, I pray we have that humility. I pray that you and I will say, Jesus, forgive me. So if you've never made that step in your life, see me after the service, see Pastor Barry, see one of our leaders, come talk to us. We will share with you that simple step forward of how you can put your faith in Jesus. I want you to see that last verse. In fact, would you read it with me? Romans 10, 13, let's say it together. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pretty straightforward. Does it say uh, some people might be saved if they call? Could be saved, will be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise. And this is just a, a target, if you will, a, a way to express calling on the Lord. It's not a formula in a sense. It's just a way to, to convey, a, if it's from the, your heart, it's a way to pray to the Lord. If it's sincere, if it's, the, if it's the desire of your heart, if you've never expressed this desire from your heart and you mean it from, from your innermost being, God will receive you as a, as a new, new person. He will receive you as his, as his child tonight if you say the words that I'm putting up there. It's not a magic formula. It's, it's, it's a way, though, to respond to God. It doesn't have to be those exact words, but it's a way to come to him in simple, humble faith. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for giving your life to forgive me of my sin. I turn away from my sin and turn to you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray right now, but for those of you who are maybe on the fence and thinking, do I need to respond to Jesus in this kind of a way? If that's on your heart tonight, you, th- you consider this. You consider inviting Jesus into your life tonight. Best decision you could ever make. But don't do that unless you really sense the Lord is calling you to do that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the invitation to respond to you in simple childlike faith. Thank you for Simeon, the way you kept your promise to him. Thank you for his example, the way he waited faithfully. God, help us all tonight to take a new step towards you in simple faith, whether that's a recommitment to follow you, to wait on you, to pray to you, whether it's a new decision to trust you with our souls tonight. Thank you for each one here. Thank you for the opportunities to live in the light of Jesus. 
Lord, thank you for all things. We pray tonight humbly that we will grow as your followers. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.